Maybe then you can see me and I can see you Maybe then we'll come together as a people Tired of the pain cause it ain't new Let's come together as a people Even if we don't share the same view Welcome to the Jesus and Everything Foundation podcast. On this show, we look at all problems affecting the world and we discuss how we can solve them using the character of Jesus, unity, and decentralization of resources available to us. The character of Jesus, or as I like to call them, the Jesus character principles, are principles that whether you are a Christian or not, we can all agree on these principles. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For every episode, we discuss a problem topic from our category list. You can find this list on the Foundation's website, jaef.foundation. We ask ourselves and listeners, what is the goal? What is the vision for this problem category? What are the potential solutions? What are the obstacles? What resources do we need? And what resources do we have? But most importantly, do these solutions and resources pass the character test, the nine Jesus character principles? If yes, then we move on to collaboration. What does this look like? This show is a platform to get the ball rolling on as many problems affecting the world as we can. We want to go beyond just talking about problems. So after the show, we collaborate by acting. First, we open the discussion floor to our listeners. Then we decentralize and open source all of our resources from brain power, manpower, utilities to capital. Before every episode, I like to ask our viewers and listeners, do you ever ask yourself, where are we going? Where is this world going? Time keeps on ticking, the day ends, a new dawn arises, and life goes on. But what is our destination? Do we have any global objectives that unite us when it comes to things like food, security, healthcare, education, or standard of living? It's a fair question to ask. If you work for a company or work for yourself, you have a general idea about your company's vision. Goal. So what is our goal, our overarching vision as the current residents of this planet? What role is your company, your city, your country playing in the big picture? And what role are you who's listening to this playing in this big picture?
This is episode one of the JF Podcast and part one of the WWE series, the Wild Wild Everywhere series. It's under our big picture and global perspective category. You can find the full list of the industries we shall cover under this category on our website, jf.foundation. That is jaef.foundation. In this series, I lay the groundwork for how we shall approach the JF big picture category. I talk about different industries and industry topics that are listed under the big picture category. During this series, we shall take a detour to different continents and countries to bring to light the fact that the same problems are plaguing all continents and countries, albeit to different degrees. There might never be a better time in human history to drop the gloves and unite to build a better world. The WWE series pulls back the curtain from a global point of view and labors to explain that across the globe, both individually and collectively, we are in a mess. Healthcare systems are crumbling under pressure, even in the first world countries, and democracies are being challenged and shaken to their core around the world. So while we're still grappling with a stench of racism that's been concealed in the West, a similar stench of xenophobia and nepotism is emanating from across the African continent and other parts of the world. The middle class is evaporating everywhere, and the battle between the haves and the have-nots seems inevitable. So we zoom out to a global perspective and zoom into different continents and countries asking the same questions that you've probably asked yourself. We look at how we're operating in different sectors and why if the current trajectory across the board doesn't change, this generation and civilization will go down as the biggest disappointment. So we dissect different sectors using a modified version of the 80-20 rule to make the case that that currently across the board and our world, we're still operating at the 20% efficiency. I also make the case that globally, we're still pretty much operating in the 20th century. Clockwise, yes, we are living in the 21st century, but in actuality, we are not operating in the 21st century. We are 80% still operating in the 20th century and only 20% operating in the 21st century. And in some rare instances, we are still operating in the 19th century. So the objective of this series is to establish the mindset that we can combat all these pressures if we unite globally with specific global objectives for each industry and sector. The goal is to drill down to the root of these problems and establish an ideal global objective that can be achieved if people from different parts of the world are willing to drop the gloves, unite, roll up their sleeves and get to work. For this episode, we'll talk about how viewing the world economically in terms of first world, second world and third world or developed, developing and underdeveloped is not accurate. We introduce a more statistically accurate view of the world using Hans Rosling model, which divides the current world population into four income levels. So we'll talk about standard of living, standard of earning, minimum wage, minimum standard of living, and mandating minimum standard of living globally. I don't have all the answers, but I believe that we can put our minds together and get to the bottom of things. So open up your heart and mind, and let's take a ride around this planet in some countries. economic view of the world is first world, second world, and third world, 
or most people tend to use develop, developing, and underdevelop. That's how most people view the world economically. But there is a more statistically accurate view using Hans Rosling model. It's it's from it's from a book called Factfulness by Hans Rosling. For those of you who are interested, and he postulates that the world is divided into four income levels. Well, it's they divided it into four income levels using data, and it's income. It's the income per person in dollars per day. So level one goes from zero dollars to two dollars and one billion people live on this level, on, on this income level. And level two is from $2 to $8 and 3 billion people live on this income level. Level three is from $8 to $32 and 2 billion people live on this income level. And the last one is level four, and it starts from $32 and beyond. And only 1 billion people live on this income level. So, I mean, I think we can guarantee that all politicians, even those from underdeveloped countries are all living from, are living on the, on, on the highest income level, so level four. Now, if only 1 billion people out of the 7 point, you know, 6 billion people that we have, if only 1 billion people can be categorized in the highest income level per day, and it starts at $32, which I think is pretty low. If we can only categorize 1 billion people out of the 7.6 billion people as living on the highest income level, I think that's pretty alarming. Now, just for, just as an illustration. Now, of course we know that these 1 billion people is accounted for by more than one country. But just try to picture this. China has a population of approximately 1.4 billion people. And this would mean that even in China, about 400 million people would be on the outside looking in. And the rest of us around the world would technically also be on the outside looking in as well, because 1 billion people from China have filled the quarter. Now, India has a population of about 1.36 billion people. If we say, hey, India, fill up the quarter, there would still be about 366 million people in India left out before we can even get to everyone else around the world. Now, if we combine the US, Canada, and all of Europe, if you combine the US population in Canada and Europe, all of Europe, it's about 1.112 billion people. So we would still have approximately 112 million people on the outside looking in before we can even get to other countries. Now, Remember that the highest income level bracket starts at $32. As I said, I think this is pretty low. You know, we're not talking starting from $100 or $1,000. No, 
you know, even, you know, but even we're not saying selling at a hundred or 200, 300, it's $32. So if we're starting at 32, then it's not really a good starting point for the highest income level bracket. Now, that's kind of like the, the big picture. Just try to picture the whole world and all of us and think, okay, these fall income levels and the highest income level is this. So don't be surprised, you know, if you're living in Canada or the US and Europe and and feel like, well, I, I earn more than $32 per day. Yes, as I said, if you combine the US population in Canada and all of Europe, you would still have about 112 million people on the outside looking in. So it's still interesting. I mean, it's not interesting. It's alarming. But let's let's talk about standard of living versus standard of earning. I think there are a lot of problems that are just let's just talk about this. Um, one, one of one of the biggest concerns is the standard of living has increased and just keeps on increasing faster than the standard of earning. You know, there's a lot of people that just can't afford housing, you know, and the amount of money that they would be able to spend on a house can now only afford them an apartment. I think we're noticing that the standard of living has it's probably increasing at, you know, five to 10 times the standard of earning. You know, people are, people's wages aren't going up as fast as, you know, to keep up with the standard of living. Now, that really introduces another interesting two things that I would like to, to compare and contrast. Now you have a standard of living versus minimum wage, you know, personally, I think the term minimum wage should actually be phased out because it's deceiving. Minimum wage should be interpreted as minimum standard of living and minimum wage should be based on the agreed upon kind of like minimum standard of living. So I don't think those two should be different. Minimum wage should be the minimum standard of living. And, you know, minimum standard of living should be objective. You know, it can be per city, per province, per state, per region, per country, an objective minimum standard of living and then say, okay, all minimum wages should not go below minimum standard of living. You know, I think that's fair. That's a good starting point to kind of set a new standard for all economies around the world. Now we're going to get into a lot of the nitty gritty just as we continue on this series, but stick with me here. So I'm saying the minimum wage should be based on the agreed upon, like an objective minimum standard of living calculated. 
And now the minimum standard of living should be determined, I believe, at three levels. You know, you can have a minimum standard of living at a city level, at a provincial, state, or regional level, and then at a country level. So once we have this minimum standard of living, then we say, okay, we don't need, we're just not going to have jobs that aren't paying that. Because if you have people going to work and whatever they're earning can't even afford them the minimum standard of living based on the city that they're in, the province, the state, or the region, the country, I think that's very unfair. And I think that's where the one of the biggest problems is today. And again, there's a lot of pressures that are coming from just this one equation that just doesn't add up, where you have a lot of people working. And I'm not even talking like people working at, let's say, McDonald's and, and, and things like that. I'm talking about people who are working at, you know, professional jobs and their standard of earning is barely making the standard of leaving. You know, they're only able to leave at, you know, in the city, the state, the province, the country that they're in, because now they're, they, they've incurred a lot of debt. So the discrepancy between standard of living and minimum wage or standard of earning, I think we really need to revise this. So I'm willing to even say that it should be a human rights violation if the minimum standard of living isn't met around the world. Yes. Now, we need, I'm, I'm not only talking for developed countries to say, and you realize that a lot of the problems that we have today is because there's a lot of discrepancy in, in, so, in every country is kind of like doing its own thing. And then because they're just doing their own thing, it's putting a lot of that country's citizens in trouble and it's causing all problems like immigration and all of these things. So we really need to say that you, whatever country this is, we have determined an objective minimum standard of living. And it's a human rights violation if your citizens, if the people living in this country, in this city, are cannot are not living a minimum standard of living. Like if if they're working and somehow the jobs in that economy are not even enabling them to live in that place, it's a human rights violation. Now, this sets a whole new standard, and I think it gives us a solid platform to kind of build upon. Now, what we need to do is to determine every country's MSL. We need to determine every country's minimum standard of living. And as I said, it has to be objective, not subjective. And since countries are at different economic levels, you know, at the beginning, we may not be able to establish a global MSL, a global minimum standard of living yet. Eventually, that's the goal. But to start, I think we need to establish an objective MSL for every country, 
per country, per state, province, region, and then per city. And then if any country, we now start to say, okay, if any country has jobs that are still paying below MSL, that's minimum standard of living, I think this really becomes the perfect way or like the perfect in, um, introduction of this phenomenon called UBI. Again, we're going to dive into this in much more detail. I'm just kind of introducing, I'm just rolling out the carpet for our, for how we're going to be discussing in this series. So if a country has jobs that are still paying below MSL, minimum standard of living, then the first call to action is, okay, can we introduce UBI as a wage subsidy? Now, why do we need to mandate MSL globally? Why do we need to mandate minimum standard of living globally? I think we can all agree because of these reasons. Lack of minimum standard of living globally, not having an objective MSL and holding countries accountable to that has trickled down and has caused very many problems in other areas. It has caused so many problems in other areas like healthcare, immigration, I mean, mental health, you know, we're talking depression, anxiety, suicide, drug addictions, hate speech, racism, division. You'll be surprised. A lot of these things go back to the just, you know, the place where it's like, hey, the pressure and the tension just starts to build up when people are going to work and whatever they're earning just can't afford them the minimum standard of living. We're not even talking about a rich lifestyle, you know, we're just talking about living comfortably, surviving, you know, we need to get to where people just aren't surviving. Cause now, you know, one of the biggest problems today, like mental health, I think a lot of people are just in survival mode, you know, depression, anxiety, suicide, drug addictions, racism, hate speech, division, all of these things are coming from here. Now we can see it just in the Western world. You know, the, the Western world healthcare system is just crippling and extreme pressure from mental health disorders. It is. And lack of minimum standard of living now in developing and undeveloped countries is really holding the rest of the world hostage because, you know, there's really minimal you know, gross domestic product in those places. By not holding everybody accountable, by not holding every country accountable, by not having it as a global human right violation, if country ABC or country X, country this, country that, their citizens are not living at an MSL that we've argued upon that these, like no human being should live below this standard it is unacceptable because it just trickles down and affects everybody else it holds the rest of the world you know uh hostage because again we need people in all these countries to be productive right now 
the countries that are bearing the load of gross domestic product and innovation and just these very few countries, you know, if you want to go G7, G8, G20, or G14, whatever you want to go with. But if you say these about, you know, 10 countries that are almost responsible for driving the economic engine of the whole world, it, it's it's too much of a load to bear. We have to we have to make sure that every country is pulling the weight as well. So establishing minimum standard of living sets the minimum standard of earning by default. You know, if we say this is the objective minimum standard of living, that means no, it sets a minimum standard of earning, which says by default, minimum standard of earning is this, which means minimum standard minimum wage is this. Okay then we don't have that argument anymore because minimum wage is just the minimum standard of earning that people get paid to live according to the determined ideal minimum standard of living. You see where I'm coming at? And then by default, now the minimum wage that any company can pay is minimum standard of earning. It just by default becomes a minimum wage. And now the goal for minimum wage, which no longer is a different term from minimum standard of earning, the goal becomes that we want to take it from just being per city, per state, per region, per province to universal across the country. You know, but as I said, cities are at diff cities and provinces or states or regions right now operating at different economic levels. So we can start at a city level and say the goal the ultimate goal is to have countries having like a universal uh, minimum standard of earning. Again, these things can take time. So what's the next step after establishing minimum standard of living and minimum standard of earning? A lot of you are probably thinking, okay, you present a very interesting argument. But let's just say hypothetically, now that we've established the minimum standard of living and minimum standard of earning per city, state, province, country, where do we go from here? Well, you'll have to tune in for part two of the WWE series. We'll call it a wrap for today. In the next episode, we'll talk about what comes next when an objective minimum standard of living and minimum standard of earning are established for different countries, states, provinces, regions, and cities globally. This was part one of the WWE series, The Wild Wild Everywhere. Your host for today was Calvin Cavanda. Thanks for listening. They were shaking and praying and waiting for something to change in my mind. I could see I was blind. I was screaming and crying. I felt myself dying. Just hit and rewind. Then you gave me a sign. Chaos in my mind